For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. It is SNY.TV's The Juice on the Cuse podcast, covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football. Today on The Juice on the Cuse podcast on SNY.TV, we'll be talking about Syracuse basketball in the ACC and upcoming LOI day. I'm Wes Chang, and I'm here with Robbie Gillis, and our guest today is Scout.com's Mike McAllister. Mike, always a pleasure to have you on the program. It's wonderful, Wes. Thanks for having me. Mike, I want to get you started on this one, the... Big news out of Syracuse football recruiting right now. Syracuse losing three-star defensive end from Miami, Kavanis Davis, flipping to Oregon State. How big of a loss is that for the Orange? I mean, it's never a good thing whenever you, you lose a commitment, but the good thing for Syracuse is they've got a few defensive ends in this class. When you look at a Brandon Genetti, even though he's not rolling until January 2016, uh, you look at a Kadir Shepard and guys like that. So I think they'll be okay at the position. But, you know, he's a kid from Miami Central, which is a very good uh, program down in South Florida. So, you know, you lose that pipeline a little bit. And, uh, you know, he's definitely a very talented player and had a, a lot of good offers. And, uh, but, you know, it seemed to me that he wanted to get out of his hometown. And that was a big thing. And he wanted to do it as soon as possible. And you never know if there's some sort of family situation going on there or whatever. But the, the fact that Oregon State was able to have him enroll starting in March because of their – uh, late start to their semester, um, that gave him the opportunity to, to go there, and so he took advantage of it. And I think it was more so that than uh, you know any slight towards Syracuse, but definitely never a good thing whenever you, you lose a commitment. You know, a couple other recruiting battles I wanted to talk to you about um, as we head toward LOI Day, including Jake Pickard and Najee Clayton. Where does Syracuse stand with these two guys? And the, the follow-up to that is, what is the departure of George McDonald doing, not just with these recruits, but the rest of the class? Well, this is, this is an interesting uh, last couple of weeks before signing day, you know, about a week and a half until then. And um, with Jake Pickard and, and Najee Clayton, I'll start with, with Pickard. In both situations, it's kind of interesting that Syracuse seemed to be in a really good position, and then something happened to change that. With Pickard, uh, you know, he was committed to Wisconsin, and with their coaching change, um, that really not necessarily pushed Wisconsin away, but made him reopen his recruitment. Syracuse was right there. They continued to recruit him even after he committed to Wisconsin. So um, they had developed a very strong relationship with him. It seemed to be, you know, he took his official visit this past weekend and seemed to be uh, in a very good spot to potentially flip him. And then, you know, right when things seemed to be coming to a head where he was going to make a decision, uh, Michigan came in with an offer, and he's now taking an official visit this coming weekend for that. So that's, um, you know, sort of put a little bit of a wrinkle in there. And Michigan was a school that he said it was the first school he ever camped at back when he was a sophomore and was a school that he, quote, always wanted to go to. So you never know how things are going to go on a visit. You never know whether Michigan will have room for him if they take another player instead of him or how that will all work out. But, um, you know, definitely not a good thing for Syracuse, the fact that Michigan has, gotten, Michigan has gotten involved, and I think they're the favorite right now. As far as Najee Clayton, similarly, he took an official visit this past weekend, 
Syracuse seemed to be in a really good spot for him. I considered them the favorite. And then his old high school coach at Paramus Catholic in New Jersey took a job in the recruiting department up at Rutgers, and now he's got an official visit set there for this coming weekend, and they seem to be the favorite because of that connection now. So Syracuse was in a good spot for both. They may not be in as good a spot right now for both of those guys. Still in the mix zone. You never know between now and signing day what could happen, and Syracuse is still recruiting both very hard. Let's take a look at the overall class, because with Davis decommitting, that leaves Syracuse with 25 right now and a larger class than in recent years. How does this class, let's just say everything goes according to plan and they keep all these 25 guys, how does this class compare with uh, years past? Well, it would be the highest ranked class that Scott Schaefer has had in the three classes that he's had, and it would be uh, more signal of improving recruiting because his first class compared to his second class, there was an improvement there as far as the recruiting rankings go, and it's the same thing this year. It will be the second year in a row. You know, the last, the first uh, class that Schaefer brought in was partially a Maroon class because he took over sort of a month and a half before signing day. So these last two classes are really the two classes that are full Scott Schaefer uh, recruiting cycle classes. So it will be the second year in a row that he's landed a four-star prospect this year. It's Marquise Blair, who was uh, a, a guy that didn't even have a scout profile, and when hmm. Syracuse got him uh, to commit and got him, uh, you know, offer him and et cetera, and, and you know his tape was so impressive, and he's got such skills that he vaulted all the way up to a four-star and the number twenty-four safety in the country. So um, he's a guy that, that Syracuse, you know, I think fans are going to really enjoy. But um, they filled a lot of needs this year. They brought a lot of offensive line beef in here. And uh, so it's not as sexy as last year's. It has some wide receivers and, and a couple quarterbacks and things like that. But I think uh, Syracuse fans are going to see a lot of benefits down the road from this class. I think it'll be the highest ranked of the last three years and one of their highest ranks in the past 10. Mike, we'll get you out of here on this one. And I want to shift topics from football to basketball. You know, Thomas Bryant is going to announce his decision in March, and Syracuse is actively recruiting him uh, without a scholarship, as many Syracuse fans know. How does Syracuse make room for Bryant? And, you know, with there's a lot of talk, and there's nothing confirmed, but there's a lot of talk of this the NCAA sanctions that are going to come out soon. How does that all factor into the Thomas Bryant equation? Well, you have to figure that if Syracuse, you know, Syracuse is going to continue to recruit him until and unless they are told something by the NCAA that says they're going to lose uh, scholarships for next year or, you know, something of that nature. But you would think that if, if Syracuse was going to lose scholarships, that next year would not necessarily be the year they do it because they've already had uh, the early signing period. Syracuse already has four players signed. And like you said, there's not necessarily a scholarship right now if no one leaves early or transfers for Thomas Bryant. So if Syracuse lost a scholarship or lost two scholarships for next year, the NCAA that continues to spout the fact that they're quote-unquote always about the student-athlete and their best interest, <laughs> their sanctions would cause Syracuse to either have to cut two players from the team, one or two players, or to tell two of the players that have signed, oh, by the way, we can't accept your signature now. You have to go find somewhere else last minute. So I think that the, the logic dictates that it won't be for this coming year, which means the scholarship situation is back to what we originally mm -hmm. thought, which means someone has to leave. Um, but I think that will sort of that will sort itself out. And because of you know the history showing that Syracuse will lose a player to early in, in, entrance into the NBA draft or will lose a player to transfer, because of that historical precedent, I think Syracuse continues to recruit him hard. They're not necessarily worried about the NCAA situation. 
because they can't uh, pull back on their recruitment anticipating something. They have to keep going at him full bore in order to stay in the mix and then, you know, let the chips fall where they may regarding the NCAA situation. At the end of the day, I think Syracuse will be fine as far as, you know, their recruitment of Thomas Bryant. They won't lose him because of NCAA sanctions. If they lose him, it'll be because he sees a better opportunity at a place like Kentucky. That's going to be a very interesting situation developing over the next couple of weeks and months with that. Uh, Mike, thanks so much for coming on the program. If you are not a member of CuseNation.com, you are missing out on the latest recruiting news done by one of the best in the business, Mike McAllister. Mike, enjoy LOI Day. We'll speak with you soon. Thanks a lot. Take care. All right. I appreciate it. Great stuff from our friend Mike McAllister. And I'm now joined in studio, in the SNY studios, it's like seeing a ghost, Robbie Gillis. <laughs> Thanks for coming back in. Uh, thanks for having me back, despite my uh, you know <laughs> long time away from the program. <laughs> so, Robbie, let's talk some Syracuse basketball, and let's start with the most recent game, 69-61 win over BC. And we were kind of talking about this pre-show. It was a very unsatisfying win. That could have been a satisfying win, I thought, but overall it didn't leave a great taste in my mouth. Well, that's kind of what this team does for you. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you see the potential, and, and they've done this three or four times in other games where they have a comfortable lead and let it slip away. Um, I, I think mainly what I want to talk about is Rakeem Christmas. Mm -hmm. I, I never thought I'd see him dominate the way he has. But, you know, we're now 20 games in this season, and he still hasn't figured out – He, I don't know if he's oblivious to it, but how important he is to the team. He has to stay on the court. And some of those fouls – like, he, he, he fouled out, as we know. And I think the last three fouls – there, you gotta let him go. Yeah. You gotta let him go. Swallow your pride. Let the guy hit a layup and move on. He, he's still doing the the bending the arms over oh, and found yeah. you know be straight up, jump straight up. Don't poke for the ball when guards go to the lane, and you know allow a basket or two. That's that's fine for this team. If he's not in the game, you see how their offense just suffers tremendously. You lose your number one threat, and then they don't double team him. Cooney's not going to get those open shots. Benajay's not going to get them. The lanes aren't there anymore. Everything just shuts down if he's not there. One of the things that, and I'm sure Orange fans and watching the, the game cast noticed, was he's got to also back off the officials. Because I thought every time, I mean, it wasn't just like one or two He gets plays. fouled, apparently, 30 or 40 times a game. <laughs> and then it doesn't get called. Based on his facial expressions, it's every single play he's fouled. And, you got, and I think Len Elmore, for all the flack he's taken from Syracuse fans for mispronouncing names, He's right. He's got to stop throwing up his hands. He's got to stop giving the grimace to the officials. And he's got to let Coach Behan do what Coach Behan does, which is work the officials. And, and you know, Behan did work the officials, and he did get a couple calls. Mm -hmm. I thought it was funny because one time they were running down the floor. Behan calls timeout twice. He gets the second timeout, and then as he's calling timeout the second time, Rakeem Christmas finally gets the foul call. But obviously it didn't matter there. What I want to point out, though, moving away from Rakeem Christmas, is uh, you know seven missed free throws in the final two minutes. And uh, you know Roberson with one, Cooney with three, B.J. Johnson with a pair, Joseph with one. And really, it's, it's Trevor Cooney because he's your best shooter, your number one You're gun. You're always looking for him to get the ball in that situation. He, Absolutely. He's you know, around an 80% free throw shooter. And he was three for six from the line. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you know, he's, he's you know, the most senior leader of that, you know, backcourt. Right. He has to hit those shots. Um, and, you know, to round out the discussion about this game before we move on to a larger topic is Caleb Joseph. You know, there's, he's, he's mercurial. He, he's a freshman, and he's improving. And I thought he was a heck of a lot more aggressive than he was 
compared with the Clemson game. 13 points, 9-11 from the free throw line, which I thought was outstanding. And, yeah. of course, 7 assists, which is the most important statistic for a point guard. And most important for him is he was in there at the end of the game. You know, Bayheim right. now had, you know, the, he, he was confident in him that he could close out those games, and that says more than anything of, of his play. And I think it says also, you know, Ron Patterson shouldn't be <laughs> yeah, in there well. because I don't think that guy's ever met a shot that he doesn't like. But... <laughs> That's a topic for another day. Robbie, I actually wanted to talk to you now about the, the larger picture because Syracuse currently 14-5. and five. They're 5-1 five and one in the ACC, and they're still moving through the quote-unquote easy part of their schedule. And you look at the rest of the season, and I'm wondering if you see Syracuse getting over that hump, getting into the ACC tournament with some momentum, and then eventually making the NCAA tournament, assuming no sanctions. Well, I looked at you had your predictions for the final games here. And, you know, I, I kind of did the same and, you know, I, we differed a little bit, but for the most part, we're on the same track. They're right around the 20 win mark. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think there are a couple games that are crucial. One is just get hopefully getting some upset somewhere. And I see that potentially being the Notre Dame game. Absolutely. It's on the road, but they've always handled Notre Dame fairly well. You're so, right. you know, you're hoping for a win there. And then the other big ones are with other borderline teams and you, tomorrow against Miami, that's a huge one, and then to close out the season at NC State. Both of those teams are also fringe tournament teams, and so you've got to beat those teams to, to get in. Yeah, I'm just going to run through the schedule really quickly. They have, uh, you know, I think the, I put these in the winnable category. Again, you just spoke about Miami, uh, Virginia Tech, they play Pittsburgh twice, Boston College, um, and uh, again, you mentioned North Carolina State. So those are all in the winnable category, but then you look at uh, games against North Carolina, uh, Duke twice, Louisville, um, and Virginia, which I, I think Virginia, I'm most scared of them. So if you took, take those and put them in the loss category, let's just assume everything yeah, if goes they're lucky, the they should. get one of those probably, you know. Right. It's... And so you give them benefit of the doubt. And I have them with one win in the ACC tournament because they probably end up playing another ACC you know, bottom feeder. I have them at 21 and 12 and 11 and 7 in conference play and then 1 and 1 in the ACC tournament. Again, that includes sweeping Pitt, a team that Syracuse has always struggled against. The problem with that right now, and we spoke about this pre-show, they don't have a signature win. What is their signature win right now? Iowa? Yeah, it, it should have been Villanova. It should have been Villanova. I mean, I think, you know, when it happened, I, I said this and have continued that that's the game you're going to look back and say, man, if they had won that, that would make the difference in the season. Um, you look at the ACC, and they have five locks to, to make the tournament in UVA, Duke, Louisville, UNC, and Notre Dame. And then you have these fringe teams, NC State, Miami, Syracuse, and Pitt. So it's, you know, within those games are the ones that's going to determine it. And, and right now, Syracuse is on probably the bottom of that. You know, they're 5-1 and one in conference, but you really need to look more at, I, I looked at Ken Pomeroy's rankings, and Syracuse is 68th. Right. And that's not going to cut it with all the other... Automatic, you know, team, automatic bids, exactly. So they have their work set out for them. So, Robbie, there's something else you wanted to talk about, too. Yeah, I wanted to talk about Tyler Ennis and, and Jeremy Grant. Uh, I, I've heard a ton of gripes from fans that, you know, the decisions of both of them going pro and that they shouldn't have, and there, there's so much of, of fans thinking of, like, what this team would be like if they were both on this squad and, you know, we'd be talking Final Four as opposed to whether they'd make the tournament or not. That's right. But you look at these two situations, and, and you had Ennis, who went in the first round, and he's a guard that I don't think was going to improve much from last year to this year. He had such an amazing year. He was so 
you know, stock poise. Was high. Yeah, I mean, you know, he could maybe improve three-point shooting a little bit. He could get a little bit better, but the shine wouldn't probably be there as well. So I think, you know, you look at him and he went 18th overall, like just outside of the lottery, yeah. and you got to say, yeah, great. And then you've got something like Jeremy Grant, and he went, uh, I think it's 39th overall in the second round. You know, not a guaranteed contract, and you wonder, well, maybe he made the wrong decision. But now you look at him, and Ennis is in the D League. You know, he's in this situation where the Suns have three borderline All Stars at the guard position, and then you've got Jeremy Grant, who's now averaging over 20 minutes a game in the last month. You know, six points, three rebounds, and he's actually a over 40% three-point shooter. <laughs> so you know, you, you look at this situation, and how can you get mad at either player for making the decisions? And it's just the luck of the draw of what team you get drafted and their needs. And, you know, I, I think they probably both made the right decisions despite fans protesting contrary. And I think you just hit the, the proverbial uh, hammer on the head right there, ahead of the nail. Because if you look at Ennis's situation, he got drafted to literally, as um, Chris Traeger would say, the worst team for that type of situation. Because yeah. if he gets drafted to the Knicks, he's playing 40 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, Jeremy Grant gets drafted to, say, the Spurs, which is definitely like a late first-round type situation, he's not playing at all. So it's, it, And you mentioned this, again, we were talking pre-show. It is such the luck of the draw whether players end up in the right system. And draft position matters, obviously, a lot in terms of the guaranteed contract and financially. But, you know, whether you play or not really depends on the situation you're in. And Philadelphia is the per- – you know, if Ennis was on Philadelphia, he still wouldn't be playing because he's playing behind Carter Williams or yeah. not as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you still you have to look long term too. I think the Suns drafted Ennis, looking at the situation where they're probably he'll play the, next year. Yeah, there's a good chance they'll lose Dragic, or yeah. else they have to pay him a ton of money. Right. And are you really going to have three guards paying that amount of money? You know, most likely not. So we'll see what happens next year as well. Well, Robbie, we're right at the end of our show. Your closing thoughts. So for those, you know, we already talked. You talked about recruiting a little bit for basketball, and those looking to next year in that stacked recruiting class. I say you have to embrace this team. You know, uh, these are the years that separate the true fan from the bandwagon fans. Absolutely. Uh, you know, enjoy Raheem Christmas, unbelievable turnaround. Revel in watching Chris Joseph finally begin to figure it out. Even laugh when you see Roberson pump fake when everybody knows he's <laughs> not going to take that shot. And then laugh even harder when he does and he's instantly pulled for Beheim for BJ Johnson. Yeah, I don't know if they'll make the NCAA tournament, but either way, I'm watching every game as a, a true fan should. So I'm just wondering, were you pulling a Len Elmore there and calling him Chris Joseph rather than Caleb Joseph? Oh, did I? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I, I, I thought you did that on purpose. <laughs> I wasn't sure. Uh, my closing thoughts are on Louis Orr and Roosevelt Bowie. The Louis and Bowie show, as they were called, will have their jerseys retired when Syracuse hosts Pitt on February 21st at the Carrier Dome. Both played at Syracuse from 1976 to 80, and both finished their collegiate careers as 1,000-point scorers. Congratulations to them. Very well deserved. Hey, Wes. I was saying buoy. I love The Simpsons. That's it for us. For Robbie Gillis, this is Wes Chang reminding you that I get my hair cut every two days. After all, your hair is your head suit. You've been listening to The Juice on the Cuse on SNY.TV, and we'll see you next time. This has been The Juice on the Cuse podcast, part of the SNY.TV podcast network.
Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.